Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you think groundbreaking day. Like, probably a lot of things. Maybe it's like the red ribbon that you cut with the scissors, but we're, like, there's nothing there yet, so we can't really cut the ribbon. And maybe you're thinking, well, the hard hats, that was a nice touch, but I was thinking golden shovels. You know, like, if you had golden shovels, that would add a cool factor. Fancy cupcakes. I do love fancy cupcakes, y'all. I really do. But really just the tops of the fancy cupcakes because the bottom part has the paper. Like if you got paper on your food and then it sticks to it and you got to scrape it off with us, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that. I just like the top part, which isn't even important for today. But I do like that part a lot. Uh, no, I warned you guys that today was going to be a little bit different because today what I want us to do is focus on the biblical truth of really how we got to this point and what the goal is moving forward. And so today, I'm so excited about this. We have with us, I'm not going to call him a special guest, because if I did that, that would mean that this is not home. And this is home, so will you help me in welcoming back Pastor Steve Zerilli. Steve. All right, buddy. I am... Thank you and Katie. Katie was here at 6.30, y'all, to sing on the praise team. She was here by 6.30, so Katie, thank you so much, and the family for being here. Um, You've been missed. You have been greatly missed. You started with the Woodside Romeo family in 2012. That's when it went from Stone Ridge to Woodside, and look, he's a baby. Look at that. That was only six years ago, Billy. (laughs) That's what what this place did to me. Awesome. All right. So, again, before we were Woodside, it was known as Stone Ridge. Before Stone Ridge, I've already mentioned this. We were First Baptist Church of Romeo. The church actually started in 1840 in the home of Ira Phillips. Check out this house. Now, I know, I know wow. from reading through that history, the out beside it, I'm not even making this up. There was a blacksmithing shop, like the blacksmith where you make like horseshoes and medieval armor and things like that. Like that was. <laughs> right next to this. And then so the believers met in the home. They did community together and they were like, we believe the Lord is doing something here. So they bought some land, downtown Romeo, and they built the church that's now a karate studio, like the most beautiful karate studio you've ever seen. (laughs) That was home for more than a hundred years to the church. And then the early 60s, this land was purchased and this building uh, was, was built. And so soon... Soon you're going to see things, like you're going to see all, everything it takes to build, right? And so when I think building, I look out my back window, and they're building houses behind my neighborhood. So there used to be woods. There's no longer woods. No, there's houses back there. And what they do is the builder, if you build houses or build property for a living, like I know I'm oversimplifying, but basically they push dirt around, right? You, you move the dirt, and I don't even know why you move the dirt, but they have to move all the dirt, and then you lay the foundation, and then you build some walls, smack a roof on the top, call it good, right? That's kind of what you do. And yet, it's kind of like that, right? And yet what God is building, when we're talking about building the church, I want to be very, very clear with you guys. This morning, I'm not really talking about the building. I'll get to the building. But really, I'm talking about this, right? When I talk about building the church, I believe that we are the church. And so again, if we're looking at when they build the building, they're going to start by moving dirt. Steve, when you came in 2012, there was some soil that needed to be prepared. The soils are hearts. Mm-hmm. 
What did that look like? How had the Lord been working in you to prepare you to be the lead pastor of Woodside Romeo? And what was the work that you really did in those early days? Excited to be with you guys this morning. You also and have people, if you look right straight ahead, there's people I down know, I in the saw, overflow I was already room. down there. I saw, Did yeah, you go down and say hi to I gave a few them? people a hug. Yep, okay, it was great. Okay. It was great. They were worshiping. It was awesome. Love it. It was awesome. So yeah, just excited to be back home and be back here at Woodside Romeo. So for me, to answer the question, it, it really started uh, in my childhood. Uh, I was part of a typical American family. And that means, in my house at least, uh, being born and raised in Akron, Ohio, that sports was absolutely idolized. And so that's just the way I was raised. Everything kind of revolved around sports. And so we went to church some of the time, uh, but we never really deeply connected. We never really experienced real community. We didn't have a lot of time for that. So we'd get in the car a couple times a month. We'd experience worship, usually on the way home. By the time we got home, there'd be a few of us that were fighting by that point, we'd get home, my dad would make grilled cheese, and then we'd yell at the TV at how horrible the Cleveland Browns were. And that was like our Sunday ritual for a long time. And so that was just our typical growing up kind of environment. We never really talked as a family about what is it that God is challenging us to do? What is he asking us to do with our lives? We never really pressed into mission. Uh, we never really served. We didn't really take responsibility over the spiritual care of other people in the church. Um, we mostly just juggled all the busyness of a normal American family. And fast forward then to 2010, I was doing a new role at Woodside. I'd been a pastor there for eight years, and I started as the, in 2010, I took on the role of leadership development pastor. And one of the first things that I was asked to do was rewrite our church's mission statement. And so we did, um, and that's what we still have today. So I wrote this statement of helping people belong to Christ, grow in Christ, and reach the world for Christ. And I had just rewritten the statement, and one of my responsibilities then was to develop a philosophy of discipleship and setting up a culture where people could grow as disciples in the context of a spiritual family. And so just to understand what that means, just to give us some basic definitions to our history and, and really where this came about within Woodside, we, we've kind of defined a disciple as someone learning to be like Jesus and who they are, um, so that's their character, and then how they live, their competencies, someone learning to be like Jesus and who they are and how they live. And so we wanted Christians to get past this normal thing within our culture where they attend church service a couple times a month. Uh, to moving to Christians who actually embrace our mission, and they embrace that mission and live it out in the context of spiritual family. Uh, the issue that we're facing in our society today, I truly believe, I'm convinced of it, that it's an epidemic. It's an absolute epidemic. It's what anthropologists call radical individualism. It's defined this way, that we in America have been socialized to believe that our own dreams our own goals, our own personal fulfillment ought to take precedence over the well-being of any group, our church or our family, for example, to which we belong. Now, practically, that meant that way too often when we come up with a mission that is different than God's mission, our mission ends up prioritizing itself above God's mission. And that's what happens in people's lives, that their mission's no longer consistent with God's mission, and their mission becomes the ultimate fulfillment, the thing that they're chasing after. And Jesus showed us a very different way. Uh, he showed us 
how to live underneath the mission of the Father always, perfectly, perfect obedience. And he talked about this great mission with his disciples. It's actually how he closed the Gospel of Matthew uh, with what is known as the Great Commission in Matthew 28 when he said to his disciples, all that would come after him, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So I began to realize that my mission wasn't always consistent with God's mission, and God calls us to be missionaries right here, Uh, not just overseas, not just on a global scale, something that you've certainly experienced, but right where we're planted, uh, that right here we are missionaries for the gospel. We're meant to Call, we're meant to live out that missional identity in the context of community. Now, the problem I had was when I was thinking about trying to reach my neighbors and networks for the gospel, I realized I didn't really know my neighbors, and I didn't really intentionally spend any time with my networks either. And so I wasn't living out the very mission statement that I had just written. <laughs> so we started what was called back then in 2010 a neighborhood group. Uh, now they're called groups... Uh, they, all the names at Woodside just keep getting shorter and shorter. I, d- I don't know what they'll be called in a few years from now. But we started a neighborhood group, and we, we defined our group as we were a group of disciples who were choosing to live as a spiritual family on mission to reach our neighbors and networks with the gospel. And so that's what we did. Uh, we started that on our street in Troy. We never knew how many homes were on our street before. We never knew our neighbors. And that's where we decided to start living out this calling that the Lord had placed on our hearts. And I could share hundreds of stories, but just one. Uh, When we started that group, it wasn't too long until we uh, met one of the members of Woodside. Her name was Edith Holthus. Maybe a few of you who have been around Woodside Romeo for a while have heard this story. But Edith was a charter member of Woodside Bible Church. So she was there at the first service in 1955, uh, back when it was in the Troy City Council. She lived one street over from us. Uh, She was widowed. Uh, She was cared for in many ways by her sister and by her neighbors. Um, And so she started coming on occasion, and then she came to me one day, and she said, Steve, I I really can't come to group anymore. I said, why is that? She said, well, your group starts at 6, and uh, you usually finish eating about 6.45, and my bedtime's 6.30. And so, so our group was a little late for Edith. Edith was 89 years old. And Edith became the grandmother in many ways of our group. Uh, It was a year after we started that group, she was going to be turning 90 just before Christmas Eve. And so what we did was we set up a surprise birthday party for Edith. And so there was was Christian people there from Woodside. There was her family there. There were Muslims there from the community. There were atheists and agnostics and all kinds of different individuals that came to this birthday party. We learned that through the conversation of the evening. And so we, we kind of packed out the house. I said, Edith, just this one time, I, just sleep in the next day. You're retired. Just, just come this one time. Stay up a little bit late. Come for dinner. So she comes. She knocks on the door. And when she opens the door, everybody yells surprise. And she gasps for breath. She just goes, oh. and I thought we killed her. Like, <laughs> I, I thought we had just killed Edith. Sweet Edith. I mean, she would have gone out a good way, but like Sweet I thought Edith. we killed her. Uh, she just held her breath and didn't move, didn't move a muscle. And, and then tears just started strolling down her face. And she said, this is the first surprise birthday party I've ever had in my life. And she came in, and she opens up all these presents, and 
uh, all those people in our neighborhood got to see an expression of the gospel, of spiritual family. And so that changed, absolutely changed Katie and I's life. Um, Our lives would never be the same. We learned that the Christian life was never meant to be lived without spiritual family, that we had to live it in the context of community because that's how Jesus lived. We are saved individually, but we're saved into a community. And this is something that he taught us through the scriptures. I became convinced that there are a lot of things that the church does that are good, but they often don't result in spiritual family because families are multi-generational. They reproduce and multiply. Families know the needs of every member within them, and they take the responsibility on of caring for those needs. And this is how the church was described. Families are wonderful sometimes and really painful sometimes. Even the best ones are just a beautiful mess, right? right. It's just the way they are. So fast forward to 2012, and Stone Ridge was merging with Woodside, and I was asked to be the campus pastor, and God said, take those convictions and try to lead out that type of culture there. And I love, I just love the fact that, that Pastor Billy and Amy have that very same heart, that they care about spiritual community, they care about the multiplication of discipleship, and that's the foundation to really what we are trying to do. So at first, that's what we tried to do when we came here. We focused on the word of God, we focused on serving, we focused on worship, we focused on family ministry and groups, and that was about it. We kept it really simple, as simple as we could, because we wanted to create space for people to live out their mission in the context of these spiritual families. Now, over the years, our worship gathering uh, from 2012 through 2000, really till today, the worship gathering just kept making disciples, and our groups were also multiplying disciples, and, um, and that's how we started fulfilling our mission of helping people belong, grow, and reach. Um, one of my heroes is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And again, maybe some of you have heard this story before, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it was four years before the beginning of World War II. He was a Christian missionary, pastor, martyr eventually, a spy from Germany. And he was a theologian as well. And what he did was four years before the Second World War started, he took 23 men and started an illegal seminary in what was at the time Germany. And the reason why he started it was so that they could develop pastors to lead what they were establishing as what was called the Confessing Church. The Confessing Church was the only Christian alternative to what was called the National Reich Church. Christianity in Germany has a beautiful heritage and history. If you go to seminary, do biblical studies for a time, like so many things are written in German from that time. But what happened is with Nazi Germany, they literally overtook the church. They replaced the gospel with their own propaganda. And Bonhoeffer was coming in there to say, no, there's still a remnant. There's still Christians within this nation. We need to train pastors for them and start what was called the Confessing Church. Uh, nine years later, he was imprisoned in a camp, and he was martyred there two weeks before the Allies uh, freed that camp. Three weeks before Adolf Hitler committed suicide and the war was over. He missed his freedom by two weeks. He was engaged at the time. And he wrote, though, before he passed, he wrote about his experience doing life with those men, 23 men for just, it was like a year or two. That's all he had with them. For a couple years before the nation crumbled to the point where they couldn't continue, or they, were, they moved it underground, really. And he talked about that in a very famous book called Life Together. 
And he understood something that I think most American evangelicals that we often take just horribly for granted. He understood that the gospel shapes more than what we believe. It shapes how we live. And the way we live is meant to be in the context of community. And he understood Christian community as a great, infinite gift. This is how he described it. He said, it is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, this is what I put up on the screen for us this morning, it is a grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. And I really believe that. I believe it through and through. His dream was disciple 23 people to lead a massive movement of Christianity against a very godless society. Sounds a lot like somebody else that we follow, where Jesus started with his 12, and it became 72, and then 120, and then by the first chapter of Acts, over 5,000, or second chapter of Acts, really, saw this massive explosion of Christianity. And the point is that I'm convinced we need to follow the methods of Jesus in multiplying disciples in spiritual community. And that was the foundation of this place. Love that. So there's a lot of soil preparation that took place. I, I remember, Steve, when I was uh, just over a year ago mm-hmm. interviewing to um, come as the campus pastor. Someone had asked me the question, Billy, what's your vision for Woodside mm-hmm. Romeo? Which to me was a very different question. And it kind of made me laugh because I was thinking Woodside has a vision, mm-hmm. right? And the foundation is in Christ, which then permeates everything. It permeates the way that we preach. It saturates our groups. It's the way we do worship on Sunday mornings, like everything. So can you talk to us a little bit, again, for moving the soil and then thinking about a building, then you lay the foundation. What really is the foundation of Woodside Bible Church? What is it that makes us unique? Yeah. What's the foundation? Yeah, and I think all of our pastors and uh, our pastor's families are 100% aligned on this, and mm-hmm. that is that it's Jesus Christ himself and the word that proclaims who he is. Uh, let me talk about that a little bit. Billy already mentioned today about Mission Drift. That was a book that Pastor Doug had purchased for a bunch of us to read. And in that book, he, the opening illustration talks about a, uni- a known university's mission statement from 1636. So this is a well-known university's mission statement from 1636. This is their purpose statement. Because the idea of Mission tri- uh, Drift is that Slowly and silently over time, organizations go away from their original purpose. This was theirs. To be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. What university do you think that was their primary mission statement for? Harvard. Harvard. It's fascinating how far they've come. That's mission drift. Harvard, after 80 years, people around the organization thought it had drifted so far and become so liberal that they started their own university nearby to go back to their roots. 
Guess the name of that university? Yale. Started off as seminaries, and yet we see, at least in their, not educational standards, but their views of who God is, the centrality of Jesus Christ, their commitment to the word, all but abandoned. And this is what happens. It happens in churches as well. Every good church, every church that is following the word of God, it starts out by being preoccupied with the gospel. I mean, it's preoccupied with the gospel. Everything centers around the gospel. And then slowly over time, it's like, ah, we kind of already know that. You know, you need to change with the times, change with the culture. And so therefore, they move from a preoccupation to, to a place where they're no longer preoccupied with the gospel. Now they just assume the gospel. They just assume that everybody knows it. And soon after that, assumption turns into abandonment. And so you see this throughout churches and organizations all throughout the world, throughout time. And Jesus tells us in the book of Revelation, this is why he was about to put out the light of churches, because they'd moved from preoccupation to assumption to abandonment. At Woodside, we have this little triangle that Billy and I know well, where uh, Pastor Doug puts this triangle up there where the foundation is Christ. And then on the top of that triangle is our methods for ministry, our methods for disciple making. And those methods and strategies can change over time. They can adjust with the culture and the people around us. But the foundation of that triangle, it's unchangeable. It's God himself. And so that is the part of our church. That's the foundation. The foundation of our church is Jesus Christ. And we learn about Jesus Christ in the word of God. So we let the word of God define our worldview. Not our opinions, not just our conscience in the moment, not everybody's thoughts that are out there, a popular vote. It's the word of God. That is what communicates to us the truth of Christ and ultimately reveals us the Father. And that's the thing that actually empowers the Spirit when we are preaching the word and preaching the gospel and preaching Christ. That's what enables the Holy Spirit of God to do his transformative work. So this has become our foundation uh, there's so many places where we could go to, to to hear this throughout the church's history. Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian, he said, Christ and his redemption are the great subject of the whole Bible. <laughs> the whole subject of the Bible is Christ and his redemptive work. That has to be our foundation. Charles Spurgeon, he was called the king of preachers, one of my heroes as well. He said this, I have a couple quotes, I'll just read one of them. He said, leave Christ out, oh my brethren, Better leave the pulpit out altogether. If a man can preach one sermon without mentioning Christ's name in it, it ought to be his last. <laughs> Certainly the last that any Christian ought to go to hear him preach. Do we agree with that, church? It's true. It's true. And so that's the tradition that we follow. This means that our worship must always be Christ-centered and biblically grounded. And so I'm, I'm just convinced that you cannot preach a life-changing sermon unless you talk about the life-changer. Yeah, and so we have to preach Christ. So we preach the word every time we come together. And that means that every week we preach the hero of the Bible story, which is Jesus. And this brings glory to the Father, and it empowers the Spirit uh, to do his work amongst the heart of those who are listening. There's so many places we could go uh, to, in, in Scripture to see the same thing. Let me just... Reference too quickly, Colossians chapter 1, where Paul is speaking to the church in Colossae. And here's how he starts. He says, him, meaning Jesus, him we proclaim. This is our message. 
It doesn't change. It hasn't changed in thousands of years. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. We see within Luke chapter 24 the same kind of principle when Jesus has been resurrected and he's talking to his disciples and they're uh, wondering who this man is and he finally reveals himself to them and then he said to them in verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's basically saying the entire Old Testament talks about me. The whole thing is about me. That's what he's saying here in this story with these disciples. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So our foundation is Jesus Christ as revealed in the word of God. When people come to Woodside, my prayer Um, has always been that let them hear the voice of God through the word of God so they can come to know the Son of God. Yeah, Yeah, say that again. Say that one more time. Okay. (laughs) That was good. Uh, Let them hear the voice of God through the word of God so they can come to know the Son of God. And my prayer has never been that people would say, what a great experience. What a great preacher that was. What a great sermon that was. What a, what, I would rather, much rather, I think God would much rather, when people come and see our worship, that they would see our community here and they'd hear our praise and they'd see our service and they'd see our love and they'd hear the word preached and they'd say, instead of all those things were great, they would just say, what a great Savior. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, so this is the groundbreaking service, and it's kind of strategically timed, just so you all know. Uh, starting this week, we should start to see movement, right? And certainly over the next few weeks, there will be uh, a trailer going up out here. There's going to be fencing put up. Dirt will start to move. All that's going to be taking place in the coming days, weeks, over the next 12 months. Like, this is the kind of thing we're going to start to see. And my encouragement is, as you see those guys working, will you stop and pray for them as well? Because it's easy to be like, oh, they're dragging dirt all over the place. I mean, that's what they do, right? They're going to drag dirt all over the place. But just stop and pray for them and their families. Um, And so see this interesting. God, in his infinite wisdom, in his infinite perfection, is building his church. And yet, he has made the decision that throughout at least the past 2,000 years, this could change at any time, but at least for the last 2,000 years, the church has always met in structures. Like, we, we've always met in buildings. That's the church that met in Lydia's house, right? The first Christians in Western Europe. It's, mm-hmm. it's Ira Phillips's house. It's this building right here. And so, let's just pause and take a quick little... Quick? Little pe- I'm on medicine right now, man. It's all right. <laughs> a, You're doing a, well. <laughs> a quick little peek at what's going to be built. Here we are. So the Prius is going away. They're getting me a new red car, which is great. <laughs> That's so nice. And there's Kip's new red car. So Kip and I talked. Guys, if you don't want to get us red cars, we're happy with Ford trucks. Like, they could be used Ford trucks. That'd be great. Uh, you know, and here's what I like, in all seriousness. As you need to change from cars to trucks. Though, you think man. so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we get a big truck, right? A big one, or, and a, a tractor. 
and a tractor. Tractor goes round back. So what I, I love about this, Doug Johnson's our architect, and as you're looking at this new building, for those of you who aren't intimately familiar with what the outside of our building looks like, it might be tough to be able to tear, tell where the new one is because we're so intentional about saying we don't want to build a monument to us. That's not what we're doing. Uh, we want a functional space that honors the history as well and just kind of ties everything together. And so there's really not a lot of wasted space at all in this building. Where you're at right now is going to be part of the lobby. So you're in the lobby. I'm in the restroom right now. We're just sitting in the restroom. So this, I'm actually in the women's restroom, the women's which is really restroom. awkward. <laughs> but, so this will become restrooms right through these walls. You guys know this story. Right through these walls will be a worship center that seats almost twice as many as what we do now. Uh, downstairs will be our kids' space, which will also double the amount of, of space. And uh, just a super exciting time. Now, Steve, you're in a very unique position now. For those of you who don't know, as he left being lead pastor here at Woodside Romeo, he became the executive pastor over all of campuses for Woodside, which means you get that front row seat for the senior pastor transition. You get the front row seat for what's happening at all campuses. You get that front row seat for that place where God kind of pulls people close and whispers, hey, do you see what I see? Do you see what I'm doing over here? And so can you just, I don't know, we don't get this treat often. So will you just share with us a little bit that do you see what I see? Yeah, some of the things that I've seen in the last year and a half that have been exciting is one of the reasons why I took the role um, was to help our campus pastors and help lead a culture amongst our campus pastor that reflects what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And that is that I think over the last year and a half, if you were to spend time with our 14, 15 men and their wives who lead these campuses or, or across the region, uh, they function a lot like family. Uh, they, their trust has deepened. There's soul care that's happening. Uh, there's accountability that happens there. And that matters because if you read the headlines like I do, how many pastors do we need to read about who are basically autonomous islands and fall? And it's not a foolproof plan. That's, that's the Holy Spirit's work within us. But I've been so excited just to see that we have a group of men that truly love each other, that are growing together, that believe in our mission, and that are trying to live that out even in community together. So I love that I get to see that. I, I see movement in the churches. Uh, one of the things we ask our campus pastors to do is every month, we ask every location to send us two stories of where God's been at work. So I get to sit back and read 28 stories a month of what God is doing. I don't know the names. I don't always understand all the circumstances, but I get to read about two stories of what God's doing in Romeo and what he's continuing to do in Lake Orion and what he's doing in Royal Oak and what he's doing in Algonac every month, just story after story after story. And when you step back and see that perspective, it makes me realize I can't imagine God's perspective of seeing the movement of the church across the globe. Because I get to just read 28 stories a month across 14 local churches, and it's overwhelming. And so just to see that is, is unreal. It's, it's amazing to experience that together. Uh, I, I love that Woodside is now helping the church, and we're all excited about Pastor Chris coming, and um, we're excited for Pastor Doug, too. And yet the church has been given lots of opportunity to resource the church just in the last year and a half. Um, I've, I've consulted with Pastor Doug at least 10 churches Ontario, Virginia, Ohio, Michigan, people who are learning or wanting to learn how to multiply disciples 
in a multi-site context like this. And so we get to help and resource and pray with uh, a church on a more national scale, which is beautiful and fun and engaging. And most of all, I'm excited because the gospel is beginning to stand out more and more in our culture. And so we as Christians, I feel like, just have an amazing opportunity in this day and age to live out the values of Jesus Christ and let them stand in contrast to the culture. So I think as long as we stay true to our foundation of the word of God and Jesus Christ, we get to see life change for eternity. Yeah. And um, it's, it's amazing. So I'm looking forward to that continuing. So good. So Pastor Steve's going to be in the lobby, and he wants to be sure to say hi to the whole church family, including those downstairs. Help me one more time in saying thank you to Steve for being here today. So I, um, I want to leave you with this. I went through, again, I, I just got a very small picture of the church history. But starting in 1840 and reading through, here's one of the things that really just knocked me over is the selflessness of those who have come before us, 179 years worth of history. You know, I read about how during the Depression, just one of the depressions, they actually had to take a loan just to keep the church afloat and keep it going. They had to go to the pastor and say, Pastor, we can't pay you anymore. Will you take $8 a week on Sunday to be our pastor? And he stayed and was faithful through that. I read about how in 1935, they call it a typhoon or a cyclone, or I'm pretty sure it was a tornado. It blew the steeple off the church, blew half the roof off, blew it over onto the roof of the parsonage, the pastor's house next door. And I love the words that came right after it. It said, and the church hurried, men and women hurried right there on the scene to together work through the problem. I read about a pastor that this church dearly loved, uh, Pastor Rhodes, back in the uh, 40s. He was here during World War II and uh, dearly loved this guy. And you know, in that whole thing, as we're reading about this, as I'm reading about this guy, you could tell that the church just dearly, dearly, dearly loved this pastor. And um, he had three paragraphs in the history. That big book, three, three paragraphs. So here's the thing, years from now, Probably no one's going to know your name 179 years from now. Um, there, there won't be three paragraphs, right? And I think the thing is, is for all of us, we're able to look and say, that's okay. Do they know his name? Do they know his name? So Pastor Steve came to some of you guys a couple years ago, and this blows me away. Your faithfulness just absolutely encourages me. He didn't have drawings at the time. He didn't have a little fly-by video. He didn't have all of that. He just said, hey, we're doing community together. We're doing this faith journey together, and we know that we're out of space. And so he challenged some of you to be faithful in giving. And so this church started to be faithful in giving above and beyond the tithes and offerings. This church started to give toward vision. Do you know there was more than a million dollars given? Most of that money was before you ever even saw a drawing. Isn't that incredible? Before there were any fancy drawings, before any of that, it was just like, no, we need to be faithful in doing this. And then I want you to know there was another $1.5 million that came from all the other campuses. Just seeing the work the Lord is doing here, they just wanted to give a gift of another $1.5 million. That means in a $5 million project, there's two and a half that's left. Church, I want us to get this debt paid off as quickly as possible. I really do. 
because that just speeds up our ability to make more disciples. I wonder if they could go back to 1840, if there was any way they could have dreamed of this. Don't you? And maybe the answer is yes. Maybe that's why they started it in the first place. Is because they said this goes beyond our kids and our grandkids. This goes to the next generation, the next generation, and the generation after that. So if you want to give to it, uh, there's envelopes in front of you. There are always envelopes there. You can just write Expansion Project on it at any time. You can write uh, Woodside Vision on it at any time, and that's where the money will go. But let's continue to be faithful in the way that we serve, in the way that we do community, in the way that we worship, in the way that we give. Because Jesus is the foundation of all that we do. And we never want to take our eyes off the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let's stand as we close this morning and worship together.